You're listening to a CNA podcast. Hello and welcome to CNA Correspondent with me, Steve Lai. On this episode, you'll hear about how the Scouts motto of Be Prepared was keenly put to the test at the 25th World Scout Jamboree, where 40,000 plus participants gathered in host country, South Korea. Hundreds of South Korean rescue personnel are now on standby at the World Scout Jamboree after more than 400 participants suffered heat exhaustion amid skyrocketing temperatures. Those temperatures hit 38 degrees Celsius as the country sweltered under a heat wave. It was so bad it prompted some groups to leave, despite Korea's decision to press on with the event. The U.S., British and Singapore Scout contingents have pulled out from the event after some 600 participants fell ill due to the soaring temperatures. And then the weather turned from bad to worse, prompting a tough call for the organizers as authorities kicked into action. South Korea is moving fast to evacuate thousands of participants at the World Scout Jamboree. The campsite is now in the path of Typhoon Kanun. With South Korea's highest warning level for heat issued and followed by the typhoon bringing wind speeds that authorities said may be strong enough to derail a running train, there was little choice left but to evacuate the coastal area. Our correspondent Lim Yun-suk was at the Jamboree site in Seemungum on South Korea's west coast as evacuations got underway. And she joins me now to tell us more about it. Yun-suk, great to have you on today. Thank you for having me, Steve. Okay, let's start with where you were and when you first heard about the troubles the World Scout Jamboree was having with the heat and when you knew it was a story you needed to get to and cover. Well, you know, I was at home on Saturday night uh, watching the news about the Jamboree and the local news here. It was the headlines in the local TV news here. They were talking about how bad the preparations were, how the lack of food, no shaves, um, the dirty toilets too. And then I heard about the scouts from the UK and the US and then Singapore too, all pulling out of the camping site. Um, and so I thought, oh, maybe this is something I should go cover. So I may thought that it would be best for me to make my way to the Jamboree site to find out more about what was going on there. And what did you find when you got to the campsite? From the pictures we saw, it was a sprawling expanse of just empty land with just hundreds of tents of varying sizes and colors all set up. Well, yes, well, we got there very early on Sunday morning, but we were told that the media was not allowed to go into the camping site itself. And there was this one area that we found which had a very good high view of the camping site. And we were able to see it from a distance. And looking at it from afar, it was just huge. And you could see thousands of tents set up and they all had like different flags representing the countries. But what was most alarming for me was that there were just simply no trees at all. It was just an open space land full of tents and you can see people walking around a bit. But the temperatures then were hovering around 35, 38 degrees and humidity was about 60, 70 percent. But it was just weird to see this vast, huge place with no trees at all. And the scale of this thing is huge, right? I mean, the land I understand that it was on was a reclaimed land. Is that right? Well, yes, it was. And this has been called the biggest jamboree ever uh, with some 43,000 participants. And so this is also the first global event of this size that South Korea has hosted since the pandemic, since the COVID-19. And so there was a lot of expectations that something good would come out of this. This is an event that's held once every four years. And that's why people call it like the Olympics uh, for the youth. The scouts are usually from the age of 14 to 17. And apart from some of the volunteers, the adult 
of volunteers who were there to help. They were mostly the young children who were camping out there. For South Korea, it wasn't just the organizing committee, but also all the other ministries were involved in this, including the foreign ministry, because the foreign ministry had this job of making sure that the different embassies knew what was going on. And we're talking about more than 100 different embassies and countries that would involve. Yeah, 158, I think, is the number of countries that were represented at the Jamboree, which is, you just think of all the different protocols and procedures that they all had to go through to even get all these young kids into South Korea to take part. Let's talk about the heat then. It's hard to talk about on a podcast, perhaps, uh, but to get people a sense of, but Korea's been experiencing a heat wave along with many other countries in the region. What was it like at the campsite and, and why were they struggling so much to cope with it? Well, for weeks, South Korea has been experiencing this really extreme heat weather, something that I personally have not really felt before, because we're talking about temperatures that's above 36 degrees. And perhaps for someone in Singapore, I mean, you may be used to it. But for (laughs) here in South Korea, it's something that a lot of people are not used to. But, you know, this place at this camping site itself was in this place called Semangum, which is land that's been reclaimed from the sea on this country's southern coast. And so it is a unique terrain. And this Semangum, I think, was the problem. And that's why there are lots of critics saying that this should have been a place that was not selected as the Jamboree site because it was not just suitable to be setting up tents or be using it as a camping site, especially for the young people. Yeah, and it's not just coping with the heat that Korea has been criticized for. And you touched on it a bit earlier as well when you were watching it at home. It's the fact that despite being a quadrennial event, meaning it happens every four years, like the Olympics, there were numerous other shortcomings that were being reported from shortage of showers to clean toilets to even a lack of food. Definitely. And preparations were lacking. And I think that's something that even the Interior and Safety Minister Lee Sang-min acknowledged during one of his press briefings. But most of it really goes back to the early argument, this question of whether this should have been selected as the location in the first place. Because this place was reclaimed, but it was to secure a farmland because there was a lack of rice at that time. And so the South Korean government decided, and that was like 20 years ago or so, when they decided that we needed to secure more farmland to have more rice. And that was in the the late 1980s. But it took a while for this whole project to kick off because there was lots of opposition from many groups, including the environmental groups. And so this whole reclaimed area is much greater than the area that the camping site was located in. This whole project, in fact, is not even over. It's supposed to be over in 2050. Now, the camping site area itself, it falls under this category called the agriculture land. It is reclaimed, but it's unfeasible for the construction of this extensive drainage facilities. It's a flat terrain designed to retain water because we are supposed to have rice paddies there. And that's what it did. And especially because we had the floods before this jamboree started around May, this whole place was just retaining the water, which it was supposed to do. That was its function. And so that's why we had this drainage system that kept coming up. And that led to other problems like with the bugs, the insects, the mosquitoes, and all the unsanitary conditions, including those at the toilets, I think. Wow, it sounds like a disaster just waiting to happen for having so many participants and so many demands put on the sort of the infrastructure that just wasn't prepared for it. But it's, it's not just the Korean side that needs to perhaps shoulder the blame for this, though, surely. I mean, the World Scout Organization also has a preparatory committee to make sure that it awards a country that has the proper infrastructure in place and that everything is in place before the event even gets a green light to go ahead. 
Well, yes, and that's what some of the adult volunteers and some of the other uh, the adults from the contingents were telling me that, you know, this is like the Olympics. There are checks done. You have a committee coming here beforehand to make sure that everything is in place. And there were some people from the World Scout body who was even here in April, and they did go through the checks, and they said that it was okay to go ahead. And so there is, I think, some blame to put to the World Scout body, and I think it is something that the Wool Scout body will also have to look into, and that's what a lot of the adult volunteers were saying, that for the next event, that they will have to be more prepared than they were this time. And it's also possible that perhaps the organizers on both sides were not aware or did not expect this extreme heat since it has caught many South Koreans by surprise. And even the South Korean government right now had raised its warning level to the highest in recent years. But there are also some critics here saying that the Wool Scout body would have known that this was reclaimed land and there could be problems with this by setting up the camps there and setting up the tents. So it's unsure if the South Korean government had promised to come up with resolution uh, measures to resolve this and did not, or whether, you know, including South Korean government and the World Scout body didn't really look into this properly before they all decided to send 43,000 people here into this reclaimed land. It makes you think more about the World Scout motto of be prepared, doesn't it? Now, we're going to go for a short break, but next on CNA Correspondent, you'll hear about how the fast-approaching Typhoon Cannon forced the mass evacuation of 43,000 scouts and organizers and how K-pop band BTS were issued an SOS to help. Are you looking for ways to make your money work harder? Tips on saving, investing or retiring early, perhaps? or advice on big-ticket decisions like buying a house or owning a car. I'm Andrea Hing, host of CNA's top personal finance podcast, Money Talks, and these are some of the things we find out for you. Each week, I get a guest to share personal stories and answer burning questions that help you make sense of the latest financial trends. Go check out the complete Money Talks playlist on the CNA app, Spotify, Google or Apple Podcasts. For everyone, we're all pretty sad to have to leave the campsite. It's It's been a great jamboree, all things considered, but it makes sense the typhoon is coming. We know for this event that we are going for one and a half years now, and now we have to leave earlier, and that's sad. A couple of scouts there talking about having to cut the 25th World Scout Jamboree short as Typhoon Kanan was projected to hit their campsite location in South Korea's North Jola province. Steve Lai here and our Korea correspondent Lim Yun-suk still with me as well. Uh, Yun-suk, we heard from a couple of scouts just now, sad for sure, but they seemed understanding of the situation. What did some of the ones you spoke to tell you? Well, yes, I think most of them did say that they were sad to leave. I mean, at first, there were lots of issues, like with the heat, the insects, and all the rest. But overall, I think they were all saying that they enjoyed this. They were making new friends, that they didn't want to leave. And so most of them were saying that it was a place where they wanted to stay. And them being children, young adults, to them, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity um, to meet so many friends, you know, in one area, and simply just, and they simply just wanted to have fun. But having said that, there were some scouts 
who said that they were looking forward to be able to get away from this place, go to the capital Seoul, not sleep in any of the tents anymore under this heat, but they were looking forward to the air conditioning rooms here in capital Seoul. <laughs> yeah, interesting to see sort of the diversity of views as well amongst all the different scouts. To be expected, I suppose. But And the heat must have been difficult and in difficult sort of environment to be living in. But as soon as you know it became apparent that Typhoon Cannon was on its way, then that was it really. An evacuation had to be made. The order was given. What happened next? I mean, the logistics of mobilizing so many people at such short notice must have been a challenge, not just to get them away from the area, but also to find a safe place for them to go. Definitely. I think it was chaos in the beginning. And I think the South Korean government was scrambling to find out what exactly they needed to do to be able to evacuate so many people at one time. And so it wasn't easy. I mean, you know, the South Korean government said it provided more than 1,000 buses to allow them to go to different places. And with this typhoon heading this way, the government had to find accommodation in areas where there would be less impact from this typhoon. And so in the beginning, the the government said that they would be staying in places in the capital Seoul or just around the capital Seoul. And in fact, you know, there was this message going around in the beginning where the government was looking for homestays and the government was saying that we'll be paying anyone who wants to rent out its roof for like 150,000 won. That's about 110 US dollars saying that two people will be staying in one room. And so if anybody wanted to rent out their empty rooms, please come forward and that they will be also be paid extra for making food and giving snacks to the youth scouts. Um, and so that was going around in Korea for a few hours, but then those messages soon disappeared and there were reports saying that the government felt that they wouldn't have enough time to be able to go and do the checks that they needed to in all their home states. And so I think they dropped that idea. In the end, the government decided to put them up in training centers, the government education training centers, hotels, and also the college dormitories. A lot of them had to empty them to allow these scouts to go in. And they're not just in Seoul and surrounding areas, as the government first said, but also a bit further away from those areas. So it was a 12-day event. What happened next? And did the jamboree continue once everyone was evacuated? How did it work? Yes, it did. On that one day, they were being evacuated. There were no activities then. But otherwise, I spoke to the communications um, director of the World Scout body, David Venn, and he did say that the jamboree was continuing. It's just that the accommodation was being moved from this camping site to other locations. But the scouts are taking part in various activities. We're, we're seeing some of the scouts going to some of the the Changade, the old blue house that has been turned into a place that the public can go and see, and many of the scouts have gone and seen those places. And so they're traveling around in different parts of the country, different parts here in the capital Seoul, to allow allowing them to learn more about you know different parts of Korea, not just that Puan area uh, where they were in the beginning. So I think they are having fun in general. Yeah. So overall, perhaps uh, from the scouts' point of view, that they are sort of getting a whole much more of an experience than they ever thought they were going to. That said, though, Korean media has been highly critical of pretty much every aspect of the jamboree. How big a story was this in South Korea? I understand it was even uh, billed as a national disgrace by some media outlets. Oh, yes, definitely. Lots of headlines saying this was a huge disgrace, a huge embarrassment. Lots of finger pointing by political parties saying that it was your blame and who should be blamed for all this. And so I think a lot of South Koreans were surprised. And, I, and I'm surprised, too, that 
this actually happened because South Korea has hosted a whole bunch of other global events like the World Cup, you know, and we've had other the Olympics and a whole bunch of other events too, but we haven't had a problem like this. And so I think there'll be a lot of questions being asked, but right now I think the South Korean government was saying that let's get this jamboree over and done with. Let's send them home safely. And after that, then we can start um, talking about what went wrong and what were the problems then. Well, before they were set to leave, there was an attempt to sort of cheer up the scouts or make up to some of the hardships they had to go through. There was a headline on CNA.Asia that read, South Korea Scout Jamboree SOS issued to BTS megastars. So apparently a South Korean lawmaker asked Seoul's defense ministry to take all necessary measures to allow BTS to perform at a K-pop concert for this scout, saying it was necessary to fill the lack of schedule with the power of Korean culture. That's a quote from him, adding that doing so would help elevate South Korea's national prestige. Did that happen? No, it didn't. And I don't think BTS is going to be coming to the cake um, concert at the closing ceremony. I think that was in the news. But then at that time, too, many of the critics were saying, why should BTS be pulled into this mess? And why would they want to be involved in this mess that the organizers made? And also, it doesn't fit in with this whole what the scout world is all about. It's not about the K, you know, K-pop and all the BTS. And in fact, some of the youth scouts that I spoke to said that they weren't even fans of K-pop and they weren't even interested in BTS. So I think those comments were made just by one lawmaker and immediately that party, the party that he was a part of, said that it was his personal view. But it does show how desperate the people felt and even the politicians to try and clean up this mess and try to make sure that the youth, the scouts went home with smiles on their faces. Yeah, so even BTS can't solve all problems, <laughs> it would seem. <laughs> so what lessons then can be taken away from this whole experience that, that South Korea has gone through? Well, like I said, I think this is a surprise. I think this was something that a lot uh, surprised a lot of South Koreans and even me because we're used to holding global events. This is not the first time. And so I think the main thing to get out of this, trying to find out what exactly happened. Also right now, you know, South Korea is very actively trying to work and win this bid to host the 2013 World Expo in Busan. But now there are really lots of concerns that this mess with this whole jamboree could also have an impact on its chances of winning that bid. Yeah, certainly could. Okay, on a side note, uh, we're just coming to the end of the episode. I did find out that what, your compatriot, Ban Ki-moon, the eighth Secretary General of the United Nations, he himself was a former scout. And I have a quote here from him on the World Scout Organization website about how scouts are global citizens. He says, quote, Global citizens are those who identify themselves not as a member of a nation, but instead as a member of humanity. They are understanding and tolerant of other people and cultures. They fight for the protection of our planet. They are committed to service and helping others. Were you ever a scout, Yunsuk? No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. But, you know, I was speaking to the David Venn from that World Scout body. And he was saying that there's a silver lining to this. He feels that this was a very good experience for those scouts who did attend this, because now they have firsthand experience of what climate change is about, because this is an issue that they will all have to grow up with. And hopefully they'll be able to go home, change some of their lifestyle or whatever they need to do. But, you know, they will definitely be fully aware, more aware than they were before they came to this event about climate change. They certainly will. Perfect note to end off this episode with. Thank you so much, Yunsuk, for talking to me today. Oh, you're welcome, Steve. Thank you. Listening to Yunsuk, it's pretty clear that even without the twin extreme weather events of extreme heat and Typhoon Kanon, the organization of the World Scout Jamboree was not what it needed to be. 
and there are lessons there. If we aren't ready to handle situations of our own making, like a commitment to host an event like the World Scout Jamboree, how can we cope when Mother Nature throws us a curveball, as it's increasingly likely to do? Perhaps we should all keep in mind the Scout motto and be prepared. The TV version of CNA Correspondent airs on CNA every Wednesday at 9.30pm. You can also catch up with it whenever and wherever you like on cna.asia. Do like and subscribe to this podcast version that takes you behind the scenes with our correspondents. It's available on our website and mobile app, as well as on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. Thank you for listening. Our podcast team is made up of Sai Wind, Crispina Robert, Clara Ong and me, Steve Lai.